is our home. Jesus is our home and that he is the full embodiment of everything that we long for. He is our peace, our comfort, our hope. He is our salvation. And um, today we want to look at the fact that Jesus embodied what we really long for when we talk about home. That's being known and being content and confirmed in the fact that we are accepted and loved. Isn't that really what home is about? Being known, being yourself, being known and, and loved and just accepted with open arms. And I want to begin with a verse that is very powerful and in, in something that we'll have to ask the Lord about when we get to heaven. Go to Colossians with me. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Colossians 2, 9. Uh, it's something that humans can't fully wrap their minds around. At least I can't. Maybe you can. I haven't been able to do it. But Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says something very powerful and profound. For in him, this is Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of deity, or some, verse, some versions say the Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. So in Jesus, the power, the glory, the wonder, the majesty, the authority, the, the majesty, the, the righteousness, the holiness, all of that dwelled in Jesus. Isn't that an amazing, profound thought? The fullness of God, the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who breathed the breath of life into man, the one who can perform any act at thought. He doesn't even need to say it, but when he does speak, it comes with great authority. The fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all was in one package in Jesus. How that works, I don't know. I'm going to need the Lord to explain it to me when I get to heaven. But if that's true, then that means when baby Jesus was born, the fullness of the Godhead was in a baby. Isn't that incredible? Now I want to take you to a, a, uh, another concept today. What happens when God raises his voice? Go to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18. Don't worry, we're going to connect these two concepts here in just a second. Psalm chapter 18 and verse 13. This is what it says. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice. Hailstones and coals of fire, He sent out His arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At Your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Your nostrils. So when the Lord raises His voice, what can happen? Power and glory and even great destruction. Uh, Job, there's a passage in Job that I love. It says, He sends forth the lightning bolts, and when they go, they, they report to me, it says. Who sends forth? This is the Lord speaking to Job. Who sends forth the lightning bolts? And when they go, they report to me and say, here I am. When they flash, he's watching and he can see it. I love that. There's another passage I love in Job where it says, I spoke the oceans and, and told them how far they could go and no further. The Lord's voice comes with power, doesn't it? Authority. It can be destruction. can be miraculous 
powerful signs. So let's connect these two concepts. When the fullness of God was summed up in a baby, and that baby was born, what is the first thing that happens when a baby comes into the world? That baby cries out. So if the fullness of the power and the glory and the authority of God was summed up in this baby, when that baby cried out, why wasn't the whole world destroyed? Or wasn't at least the stable shaken and collapsed? No, we don't know of any resurrection that took place. Why didn't something powerful and glorious happen or even terrible happen? Because here we have the almighty, righteous, and holy God dwelling on this earth and raising his voice. That contrast, you would think, would destroy sin and sinners, wouldn't it? So why didn't that happen? Why didn't that take place? I love John 3.16, as many of you probably do and have memorized this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's a beautiful verse. It's a famous verse. It talks about the plan of salvation. Seldom is verse 17 quoted, though. Verse 17 goes on to say, For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world through him might be, what's that next word? Saved. The whole world might be saved. So there's something about this existence of the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily in baby Jesus and the cry of Jesus going out with the full authority, by the way, of God. Because Jesus, when he came to this earth, he was no less God than he was when he was in heaven. And we're going to read that verse here in just a minute to just show you that. So he didn't cease to be God when he came. He was the fullness of God. But that cry came for a different reason. It didn't come for destruction and dismay and dismantlement of the whole world. It came to save. And we're going to look at a powerful concept in just a minute of how that was possible. How it was possible that this voice came to save and what he did in order to make that happen. But can you imagine, can you imagine what the angels were thinking as they're watching? Even if the Lord had described to them in heaven what he was going to do and what Jesus was going to do, Jesus didn't have the name Jesus until he was born to Mary. So whatever the angels called him, he's coming down to this earth and he's going to be born as a baby. Can can I can't even imagine if the angels could fathom that. What do you mean? You are the infinite God, the one who is our praises we sing day after day, moment after moment. You're, you're glorious, you're righteous, you're not even confined to a physical body. How are you going to become a baby? And then that moment happened, and I can only imagine what the angels were thinking. They had seen millions of babies be born, maybe even were part of the delivering of some of them that were in danger. And so millions of babies being born, I can only imagine what they're thinking. This is the voice of God. This baby is going to cry. When the Lord's voice is raised, you better watch out. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, 
this baby's going to cry. This is the, the power of the Godhead in this baby. He's going to cry. Will this be total, totally unfettered just authority? Something's going to happen here. And then that baby cried, and it didn't destroy. And the angels can't contain themselves because now they see something about the Lord. For some reason, he is tampering. He is he's, uh, messing with, he's, he's throttling back that power and authority. Why? Because he didn't come to destroy. He came to save. And so the angels see what's happening, and they, they go, and they can't contain themselves now. And they go to the shepherds and say, peace on earth, goodwill toward man. God in all authority is crying out on this earth. He's physically on this earth, and his voice is crying out at the top of his lungs, and it's not bringing destruction, it's bringing salvation. And they must have been overjoyed and excited and even astounded because I'm sure they even couldn't imagine or fathom the Lord doing this. The angels saw what people through all the centuries have since seen, the indescribable choice that the Father, the glorious God of heaven and earth, the one who spoke the universe into creation, Isaiah says he can measure the universe with the span of his hand. So hundreds of billions of galaxies can all fit in the span of the Lord's hand. He left heaven and became a tiny little baby on a tiny little planet in a tiny little galaxy to save tiny little you and me. Just an incredible thought. And not only did he come, he also set aside his divinity. I want you to see this verse, Philippians chapter 2, and this is where we will bring this, start to bring this to a close. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, Paul says something profound. Let this mind, have this mindset, this attitude among yourselves, Philippians 2, 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now what he's saying there is that he was fully God in heaven, but he chose to lay it aside. It's not something he clung to and held on to. He was willing to give it up. The form of God, he was willing to give up the form of God to take on what? Though he was, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with the Lord a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself to take the form of a servant being born in the likeness of mankind. He gave up the form of God and took on the form of humans. And being found in the form of a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. The most humiliating and shameful death ever devised at that time. So the God of the universe, the one who can measure the universe with the span of his hand, was born as a baby, and he wasn't born as a king, he wasn't born wealthy, he wasn't born with great authority or pomp and circumstance, he was born in a stable And it's even worse than we picture. What do I mean by that? 
here's really what the scene looked like. Because the way we picture that night, you know, it's this warm, clean stable, and it's lit beautifully, and, you know, it's clean, and there's no animal grossness on the ground, and, and it's just it's just very nice picture, but that's really not what happened. Mary was likely 14 or 15 years old. They died young in those days. They married young in those days. They had children young in those days. So she's likely 14 or 15 years old, and she had just traveled a long distance on the back of a donkey, and that's maybe one of the reasons why she went into labor. We don't know when her due date was, but you can only imagine how uncomfortable that was. And they cannot even find a place in a hotel for her to sleep or have her child. Some, by the way, they were going back to the homeland, both of their homeland. They're both from the tribe of Judah. They're going back to David's city to be counted by the census. And so they had family there. They had relatives there that would not let them in. Probably because they had heard that nobody's quite sure how Mary got pregnant. And it might be a disgrace to let them in. And the innkeeper won't let them in because it's full and, you know, she might have this child and it's going to disturb the guests. He was doing well. He didn't need the money. It was already full. And so they found a stable for her to go into childbirth. Probably was dimly lit with maybe fire or a torch of some kind, or it may have been completely dark. It probably was completely dark. There were no midwives. Men knew less about childbirth in those days than they do now, and I wouldn't want to deliver a baby. Men would separate themselves completely. So here is 14 or 15-year-old Mary in a dark, dirty stable laying on the ground. She's bleeding. She's in pain. Joseph has no idea what to do. There are no midwives or, or, or ladies helping her through this, and she's having this child all alone in the dark. That was how the Savior, the God of heaven and earth, came into the world. He humbled himself. Talk about being humbled. He didn't come as a king. He didn't come as a nobleman. He didn't come as a wealthy... You know why? Because he was setting aside all authority, all power, and here is why his cry when he was born did not destroy the world. Here is why. Because if the cry of baby Jesus was louder or more important or brought more power than the cry of any other baby who'd ever been born, he could not have been our Savior. He took on the form of man to live like we live, to, to experience this world like we experience it. And if he had ever used his power and godly authority for his own benefit, he could not have been our Savior. He couldn't have been our example. And so the cry of baby Jesus couldn't be more important. And here's the profound thing about this. Please put your thinking cap on because it's about to get deep. Think about this. 
since the cry of baby Jesus was not louder or did not come with more power, it is the most powerful and glorious cry that was ever cried. Because the fact that the Lord left heaven and set aside his divinity to come to live life as, as, as a man, to be our savior and to be our example, he set aside his divinity. That fact allowed him to be our savior. The fact that baby Jesus' cry wasn't louder and didn't come with more power makes it more powerful in itself. The fact that he didn't come as a king, he didn't come as a warrior, he didn't come as a mighty leader, he came as a man. Can you imagine living your life in this world day by day and having the power of God at your fingertips but choosing moment by moment to never use it for yourself? even to the point where you're dying on a cross, your shoulders have been dislocated from their sockets, and the only way that you can breathe is to push yourself up off those nails. The nails in your feet. And the people that you have healed, you've touched their eyes, you've touched their legs, you've healed them for their benefit because you could use divinity for, for them, but not for yourself. You have the power of heaven, and they're jeering and mocking you and spitting on you and throwing things on you as you're suffering and dying on the cross, and you do not even use your divinity for one second to get yourself a moment of peace. He laid aside divinity so he can sympathize with us, so that we can never say, Lord, you don't know how I'm suffering. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how much this hurts. He chose not to use his divinity so he could save us and so he can sympathize with us. And because of that fact, the God of heaven, the God of heaven, the one who speaks and it's done, the one whose voice rocks and shakes the cedars of Lebanon, the Bible says, the one who can bring power and destruction at a whim, sympathizes with sinful humans. Don't you ever think there's something too shameful in your life that you can't... He already Number one, he already knows what it is, so you can't hide it from him. But number two, he's lived through that suffering. So don't keep it to yourself. Give it to him. You are accepted and loved and known by the God of heaven. Talk about an open door and being home. Accepted and loved where there's always an open door. It's, it's found in Christ. It's found in Christmas. It's found in Jesus. I want you to think about this. Baby Jesus was born under the light of the moon that he created. I mean, just sit and dwell on that for a minute. It's an incredible thought. You know, God knew that if he created Adam and Eve, he knew what they would do. He knew they would sin and turn their back on him. And he knew that if he created them, he would have to come and save them. And he never hesitated for one second. Why? Because he loved us. 
all of God, the fullness of God, wrapped up in a baby boy. The fullness of God wrapped up in a baby boy who was wrapped up in swaddling cloths, who was wrapped up in Mary's arms because God wanted to wrap his arms around you and me. He laid aside his divinity to save humanity. So this Christmas, when you give gifts and when you see the beautiful lights and when you sing the songs, think about the infinite and glorious God of heaven laying aside it all to wrap you in his arms.